tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people, and welcome to this 17th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And crikey, we're going to go down under. Yes, we are. <laughs> you going to make fun of my accent again? <laughs> I guess that's all I need to know. No. This evening, we are going down to Australia. As we talked about on the last podcast, we wanted to leave the continent of North America, and we're going to make a huge leap. We're going to talk about the quarantine station down there in Sydney, Australia, Apparently, it's one of the most haunted locations on Australia. That's what I hear. So we're looking forward to sharing that history with you. But before we get into that, of course, we want to invite you to check out our website, historygoesbump.com. It's got everything you could want to know about the podcast, from the places you can listen to it, to how you can donate to the show. You can shop at our Emporium. You can check out our blog. And on the homepage, we have the last 10 episodes up there. And we have an archives page as well for the, any of the past shows. Or you can subscribe to us at various podcatchers. And as always, we would also like to invite you all to join the Spectacular Crew page on Facebook. It's a great place where everybody who's a member can come and share their ideas. They can make posts. They can post pictures. And just a great way for us all to get to know each other. So, again, we invite you to come on over to that page and join us there as well. And we want to welcome Julie joining us there. Yes, Julie, welcome. Also, for those of you that like to listen to a lot of podcasts, and obviously you must like to listen to podcasts because you're listening to ours, I found a fabulous one this week that uh, I just want to let you all know about. It took me back to my childhood. And Denise, I don't know, Do you did you ever watch, this might be after your time? <laughs> Did okay, <laughs> yes, I am going to tease you about your accent now. <laughs> Did you ever watch any of those late night like creep shows that they used to have on, you know, like creature features in the evening and they would have each region seemed to have its own host that would host their little creature features for the evening. Right. I'm trying to remember. We did watch one because we had always, when we were little, try to stay up until midnight. It came on really late and we'd usually doze off before we could even watch it. But I know when I was older, there was one called Tales from the Dark Side. Oh, yes. Tales from the Dark Side. But even before that, there was Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. That's who we got to have in Denver. And of course, she became very well known. A lot of people don't know all the different hosts that are out there. There were literally... I don't know, several dozen of them across America. And I was listening to this podcast that was talking about some of these shows. And then I got into listening to a lot of the other ones that he had with this podcast. And it's just, if you like history and creepy, which again, you must since you listen to this <laughs> podcast, you might really enjoy Jim Moon's Hypnogoria podcast. And you can get it up on iTunes. I've just been loving the thing. He has a great British accent and it's very informative. So I just wanted to give a shout out to uh, that podcast. It's a fabulous one. Also want to let you guys know we are going to have a podcast on Christmas and I think we're going to try to get it uploaded on Christmas Eve because it's Christmas Eve where you want to share ghost stories. 
We're going to share a little bit about the history. A lot of people don't know that ghost stories are indeed a part of Christmas celebrations and have been for many, many years. And then we're going to share some ghost stories with you. So you want to make sure you get your hot chocolate, maybe have a little fire going wherever you are, and gather around, and we will tell stories as we wait for Santa Claus to come. And we were- I just want to intercede, not just hot chocolate on that night. Eggnog always goes really well for ghost stories on Christmas Eve. Indeed, and I know there are people who would like to add some spirits of the other kind to their eggnog as well. So it will be a very spirited podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Not coming from us, though. We're teetotalers, so there you go. Uh, But we invite you guys to check out. We'll be doing a special broadcast on that evening, and we'll be sharing different ghostly tales. We didn't get any that came in from people, but you still have a chance. You have the next couple days if you want to send in, if you have any ghost stories that you happen to like that are short that you would like to share with people, or if you've had your own experience over the Christmas holiday that you would like to share, you can send that to us at historygoesbump at gmail.com. And of course, that is the email that you can send any feedback about the show, whether you want to comment on a particular show or make suggestions to us, you can do it at that email. All right. I think we're ready to get this show going. Are are you ready to go down under? Absolutely. Hey, mate. (laughs) To any of our Australian friends, she's working on it. I apologize. (laughs) If you would like to support the show, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash history goes bump. Or perhaps you just want to make a one-time donation. Click the donate button on our website at historygoesbump.com. Jainism is an Indian religion that practices abstaining from worldly pleasures and believes in nonviolence. It is also a religion that carries on a very odd annual ritual known as Xanthara. Xanthara is a ritual several hundred Jains dedicate themselves to each year that requires the participant to fast to death. It is believed that this practice is the ultimate way to die with good karma. This ritual is not only for Jain monks, but for any Jain who decides they want to do this and many of those people are perfectly healthy. The numbers have been increasing in the last decade. The participating Jane gradually gives up solid and liquid nourishment as he or she gives up worldly attachments and makes peace with death. Spectators gather in the last days of those who are practicing Santhara to support and glorify them and watch them pass out of this life. The longest any participant has managed to survive is 87 days. The practice is controversial as many consider it to be suicide. Regardless of whether one sees the ritual as suicide or not, there is no doubt that such a practice is indeed odd. Welcome. We have been expecting you. (laughs) This Day in History On this day, December 21st in 1937, the Walt Disney Production Company premiered a breakthrough movie that was a huge risk. Walt Disney gambled everything on this project that took three years to make at the cost of $1.4 million. 750 artists worked to create the 2 million individual paintings that make up the film. 
That movie was the first ever full-length animated feature, and it was based on a European fairy tale. And many of you probably already know that's the beloved tale of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Snow White and the Seven Dwarves premiered at the Carthay Circle Theater in Los Angeles to a sold-out crowd, and 30,000 other people who could not get tickets gathered outside the theater to celebrate the event. The character of Snow White was developed by animator Hamilton Lusk and was voiced by Adriana Castellotti. A young dancer named Marjorie Celeste Belcher, who was also the daughter of another animator, Ernest Belcher, served as a live-action model for the artist so that Snow White would appear on film as lifelike as possible. Snow White was the first Disney princess, and she is one of the few fictional characters to have a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. The dwarves are the heart of the story and give the film its real character, while the evil queen sets the precedence for future villains. The film won a special Academy Award that featured seven little Oscars, and its original worldwide gross was $8.5 million. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was the highest grossing movie of all time until Gone with the Wind took the title away in 1940. The History Goes Bump Podcast. Quarantine Station is a heritage site located in Manly, which is a suburb of Sydney in Australia that holds much historical significance for the country. The place was used as a quarantine station from 1833 until 1983. There is much more than history to the site, though. This site is reportedly one of the most haunted locations in all of Australia. Ooh, another one of those places. One of the most haunted, but this is the most haunted with accented ghosts. That would be awesome. Have you heard the ghosts? Did they have an accent? I don't know. We have to go to Australia to find (laughs) out so I can see. This is a definite site I want to go to. Well, they would. You know what? Not all the ghosts may have accents. Once we get into this history, you'll see. But if they do have accents, a lot of them would have maybe a British accent. This is very true. Which makes you wonder where in the world, how did they differentiate or how did it deviate into what we know as the Australian accent now from the English accent? Generally, I think it's a mixing of, because you would still have the the native peoples there. And so when you blend the two accents, sort of like when you go, even though in New Orleans they speak French, but it's Creole, well, it's Creole, which is French, but it doesn't sound quite exactly like French. You know what one of my favorite words is to say that has to do with Australia? I do not. Didgeridoo. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you just love that word? I'm going to oh, play my didgeridoo. I would love to have a didgeridoo. They're yeah, they awesome. do sound very cool. The expanse that the quarantine station is located on was once an area that Aborigines occupied and had not only used that as a living space, but also part of the site was an Aboriginal burial ground. You know, we're always talking about Indian burial grounds here in America. Well, in Australia, they got the same thing for their indigenous people. So maybe why we have so much haunting going on down there as well, because obviously... The way the Aborigines were treated is exactly the way that the Native Americans in America were treated. Aborigines are believed to have arrived in Australia around 70,000 years ago. The first European visitor was a Dutchman by the name of Willem Janzoon, and he arrived in 1606. The Dutch continued throughout the century to explore Australia, and they named it New Holland. The United Kingdom sent explorers as well, and in 1770, Lieutenant James Cook charted the east coast of Australia and returned to Britain announcing that it would be a good idea to colonize the continent. 
the UK did just that, but not in a very favorable way. They decided to send their cast-offs to Australia, and so in 1788, the first fleet arrived in Australia in the area that would become Sydney with a cargo of convicts. Isn't that a fabulous way to start things? I start envisioning Lord of the Flies. Uh, gosh, there was another movie that I saw where it was basically an island where they send all the convicts and they... Escape to New York. Well, that's a similar thought, but there's, gosh, I'm trying to think, but there was a movie a few years ago. I'm trying to think. It came out, gosh, probably about 10 years ago. I cannot remember the name of it, but I just remember it was a bunch of convicts and they were busy, you know, killing each other to see who would take over and be in power. But what a way to start a new settlement. Exactly. (laughs) Let's send all the criminals down there and let them have at it. As was the case with explorers to North America, these new residents of Australia brought disease with them, and soon the Aborigines found their numbers declining, with some clans becoming almost completely extinct. As is the case with growing immigration, the need to keep disease from entering the land became apparent. When we say disease, we are talking about diseases like whooping cough and smallpox. Early on, sick people were contained to ships and not allowed to come to land unless they were healthy, but healthy people did enter, many carrying disease. The government realized that people had to be put through a quarantine period before being allowed to roam about the colonies, and so in 1828, this space that had been named the Spring Cove at North Head became a place for quarantine. The site was chosen because of its distance from the center of Sydney and the fact that the area had natural springs. In 1833, the quarantine station was officially opened with 36 tents set up for healthy people to live in while waiting for their quarantine to end. Sick people were kept on board ships. Imagine that you've traveled from the UK to Australia, which is not a short jaunt. So you get off this cramped ship where everybody's been pretty much sick on board and you move into tents. Of course, when you think about how America got started, I guess it wasn't much better because they had to build their homes. I mean, it wasn't like you were coming to a five-star resort sitting there waiting for you. Exactly. And I mean, when they came into America, they came on the East Coast, which wasn't all that warm. But I don't know. Some of our Australian friends will have to let us know. I think it gets pretty cold in Australia, but I don't know if it's quite the temperatures that we get here in the United States. Yeah, I'm not sure. And I don't know. This would be in the Sydney area. So I would think it wouldn't get quite as chilly. In 1838, several buildings were built to replace the tents and stone markers were set up to mark the boundaries of the site. Quarantines were long and conditions were miserable. I think I read that they lasted at least seven weeks, some of them up to 11 weeks long for a quarantine. People who died on the ships and in quarantine were buried at the quarantine beach. By 1840, the crowding at the station had become abhorrent with four children to a bed. A resident superintendent was appointed to help make the conditions livable. In 1844, a woman by the name of Louise Ann Meredith wrote in an eyewitness account, quote, Near the North Head is the quarantine ground, off which one unlucky vessel was moored when we passed. And on the brow of the cliff, a few tombstones indicate the burial place of those unhappy exiles who die during the time of ordeal, and those whose golden dreams of the far-sought land of promise lead but to a lone and desolate grave on its storm-beaten shore, end quote. In 1847, the station was expanded to include kitchens, bathrooms, and a hospital, but the area was still only equipped to handle less than 200 people. Most ships would arrive with 1,000 people. In the 1850s, the station was again expanded, but by the 1860s, immigration had drastically slowed down and the station stopped being maintained. This proved to be disastrous when a smallpox epidemic hit Sydney, forcing the quarantine of large numbers of residents in 1881. 
a royal commission was formed and the station was drastically upgraded. At about this same time, medical discoveries informed us that there was a connection between cleanliness and disease, and so measures were implemented at the station to improve cleanliness. And to think, to this day, they're still always telling us, wash your hands. Exactly. And I just was thinking, you know, I'm wondering halfway if part of the death and sickness that happened in quarantine wasn't that people were already sick. And so the quarantine showed that they were sick, but that people didn't get sick in quarantine with the overcrowding and the probably the filth. Oh, exactly. I think that's probably where a lot of the disease came from. They probably picked up other stuff other than what they might have. Let's say the ship comes in with typhus. Mm-hmm. But I bet there were people who were in those tents that died of, say, smallpox or something. Or there's all different kinds of diseases that you can get just from bacteria, just from uncleanliness. Right. The brick buildings that are part of the quarantine station to this day were built in the early 1900s. The station was able to accommodate 1,200 people at a time at that point, and the Commonwealth government had taken over operations. Everything was good until the influenza pandemic of 1918. The facility was overstretched, and five of the nursing staff there died of the flu, along with many people. After 1919, things improved once again, and only two deaths occurred at the station after that year. The quarantine station saw less and less use, and by the 1970s, it was mostly being used to fumigate cargoes. In 1984, the quarantine station became part of the Sydney Harbor National Park, and a conference and function center was added. The National Parks and Wildlife Service maintains the site, but private funding has had to be used to help prevent the station from falling into complete disrepair. Quarantine Station now features Q Station, a hotel with magnificent views, suites, and cottages. Weddings and conferences are held here. There are numerous tours as well that feature history tours and ghost tours and educational programs are offered. Any location that's been around as long as the quarantine station and been the location of not only Aboriginal burial grounds, but also the place where numerous deaths have occurred in less than stellar conditions, has the possibility of paranormal activity. The station has been featured on numerous TV shows, including Ghost Hunters International. Stories of supernatural activity date back to the start of the station. Some of the earliest stories were reported by nurses on night shift, who would see ghosts that appeared to be what they described as Chinamen with long ponytails. Lights would be turned on in unoccupied areas of the hospital as well. Shadow people have been seen on several occasions. A young blonde girl spirit has been experienced by tourists on many occasions. She reportedly holds people's hands with her icy grip and leads them around the site. She occasionally is seen hiding in the bushes and will tug on people's clothing. She has appeared to be so real that some people just assume she is a child taking the tour until no one claims her and guides inform everyone that there are no children booked on that tour. There are three run-down and overgrown cemeteries on the property with nearly all the headstones gone. In one cemetery, all that is left is one small headstone surrounded by a black wrought iron fence. The cemetery is reported to be icy cold even in the summer. But the cemeteries are not the creepiest location at the station. The creepiest area is the shower block, and many visitors to the spot, including psychics, claim that it is evil. There's a resident spirit there that seems to have undergone some sort of sexual abuse. Screams are heard coming from a corner of the shower block, and light bulbs explode. The Australian Ghost Hunter Society relays the following tales on their website about the shower block. Quote, 
One resident gave his family a tour of the shower block. Feeling uneasy, he encouraged everyone to return back to his residence as dusk was approaching and none of the roads had lights along with most of the buildings. The family, however, insisted on seeing the shower block. They entered the building and saw the cable box which contained exposed cables that were hanging out. The building had no electricity and to make sure and prove this, the resident flipped the light switch a couple of times. They all walked down the center aisle and upon reaching the third cubicle, the end door, which was rusted open, suddenly slammed shut. To the surprise of everyone, the lights came on and footsteps paced around at the opposite end of the shower block. Do I need to mention that everyone exited the shower block at a fast pace? When they walked out, the lights turned off. Decided to have another look, they walked in again. Once again, the lights turned on when approaching the third cubicle. December 1992, a hen's night went for a tour, and then inside the shower block, after being told the above story, the third cubicle shower turned on. The women all screamed and ran out. No one had actually turned the shower on. Two of them dared to go back inside and turn the shower off. Once inside, a loud banging sound came from the other end of the showers, which sounded as if someone was kicking the corrugated iron. They all nearly had a stroke on the spot and ran for it out of there. At the time, there was no one else around that could have turned the shower on or created the banging noises, and the women were all too terrified to be playing tricks on each other. End quote. On the blog Ghost and Girl, author Laura reports an experience she had while visiting the station. Quote, During a ghost tour at the station, I experienced the smell of potatoes as we walked towards the second-class dining facilities. I wasn't the only one, as a handful of other tour attendees also picked up on the smell, but there were others who couldn't smell anything at all. The tour guide then proceeded to reveal to the group that the smell of potatoes is often picked up by members of tour groups. This event sticks out in my mind due to the fact that at the time, the quarantine station did not have a restaurant or accommodation, so there was no obvious explanation for the smell. As the station is quite isolated, there is little opportunity for contamination from other sites. Other sounds are heard at times, too, that range from the sounds of keys being dropped to rocks being rolled on the ground to scratching noises. People are touched, and many get that feeling that they are being watched. Sonia details the following personal experience on her blog, Life, Love, and Hiccups, and there is a photo that accompanies this blog post as well, so you might want to check it out. Quote, in the caretaker's cottage apparently resides the ghost of Sam. According to mediums, Sam is a poltergeist who, along with the ability to move things, pushes and even knocks people over and manipulates the temperature from hot to icy cold breezes. Sam is also a cranky soul who doesn't like people nosing around his cottage. Despite being told this, we still nervously but respectfully wandered around the dark rooms of the caretaker's cottage in the pitch black our eyes adjusting to the darkness and our senses on high alert. Apart from the overwhelming eeriness of the cottage, nothing much happened. Just a few bangs here and there, but nothing that sent me running from the building. As we left the cottage, I lingered at the entrance with an older couple who were on the tour with us. I was standing across the doorway, pointing my phone into the empty cottage and taking photos when we distinctly felt a warm breeze pass between us. This was odd in itself, given we were standing outside on a hill where it was freezing cold. The three of us commented on it at the same time and nervously laughed it off before moving on to the next building, end quote. The thing that's weird about that experience is that they felt a warm breeze. I've never heard a ghost going by being described as warm. 
Exactly. Usually people talk about a cold, icy feeling. So, Which almost makes you wonder, what was it, the outside ambient temperature? Was he actually warmer, even as a ghost, than the ambient temperature? That I don't know, but our other question got answered, is that it was freezing outside, and they're in Australia, so it does get cold down there. It does get cold down there. And we both actually saw the picture that was on this uh, blog post that she had put up. Uh, She's got a bunch of pictures of the quarantine station, if you want to go over there and kind of meander around and see what the different buildings look like and such. And as I've said on other podcasts, it's so hard when you see these pictures to honestly believe that they're the real deal if you're not the person who took them. Now, if we trust what she says, there was nobody else in the cottage. She turned around and clicked this picture. And what you see is, again, these pictures are always fuzzy, which, of course, could be the ghost materializing or something causing some kind of anomalies with the camera. But it's it's this big black figure. To me, it looked like we were looking at the back of a rather large man wearing a black hoodie and maybe jeans or something. So it it looked more of a modern day type ghost, if that's what it is. It's so hard because if if I was looking at this as film, like the kind of film that we used to have back when we were younger, Denise, you know that, remember that 35 millimeter stuff that a lot of kids out there probably have no clue what I'm talking about? That wasn't even that long ago, but yes, I remember that. You had to go to the store and actually have your pictures developed and you didn't know if you even got a picture until you got the pictures back. (laughs) And if you were a good photographer, you ended up with 70 shots of the same whale. (laughs) <laughs> remember those. Exactly. Or you'd have, for some reason, there'd be five pictures in there that were just black and they'd put the little sticker on them that said, this is the best we could get for you. And you're like, how in the world did it just take a black picture? What happened there? But anyway, back in that time, if I would have seen this picture, I would have said it was a double exposure. I mean, what I really want to see the prize would be a perfectly clear picture where you can see through whatever this entity is. And even then, I would still wonder if it's some kind of double exposure. But if we take her word for it, it's an incredible picture that she took. Exactly. And it's funny when you were just talking modern time ghosts, I was like, what do you mean? Black hoodie? Wouldn't that be the parachute pants we've been looking for? (laughs) (laughs) That's going to be our modern ghost. That's going to be the first ghost we see. Now I want to know the history of hoodies. When did they first start on the scene? That would have been a long time ago. Probably. Maybe 60s? Yeah, or who knows if they even had something similar even, even before that. Maybe one of our fabulous listeners will look it up and let us know in an email. The the really interesting thing about, about this whole thing, too, is how much um, this reminds us of our own Ellis Island. Is if we've been going through the history, it's so much like where our immigrants came into Ellis Island. And so I'd be interested in maybe looking up Ellis Island and seeing if there's hauntings there. That is a great point that you make, Denise. This basically would be Australia's Ellis Island. Mm -hmm. And I already know the answer to that question. It is incredibly haunted. And there's actually a couple of buildings I just heard. I think it might have been one of the history podcasts I listened to. They did the history of Ellis Island. And it was a lot of the same kind of conditions. People cramped into these buildings because Ellis Island is not that big. And I'm trying to think. I know there was one wing where they they had sick people would go into that building. And I believe it's not even open to this day. And I've been out there, but I don't remember because yeah, I was there for a different, I mean, I wanted to see the statue. And I wish I could remember because it was a podcast I heard a while ago and I can't remember if they said they had just opened where the, the people had been kept that were sick or if they hadn't. But I remember somebody had gone through and the conditions were still pretty deplorable, but it's, it's definitely haunted as well. I think I'm feeling a 
brewing of a future podcast right now. <laughs> Just saying. I have no doubt that Ellis Island will be done. You know, hey, we're going to be doing this for years to come. So we're going to cover it all. Yep. So you guys can listen to us when we have little creaky voices and we're like little 80 year old ladies. Well, we don't have our, well, we don't have our dentures in and I say, hello, everybody. Welcome to the History Ghost Bump podcast. <laughs> Oh, my. (laughs) So, coming back to our podcast for tonight, the quarantine station provided a very needed service many years ago. The Q station provides a wonderful service today by giving people a chance to get away from it all for a little rest and relaxation and fine dining. Is it possible that the station is still providing a service and accommodation for those that have already departed from this plane of existence? Is the quarantine station haunted? That is is for you to decide. Well, I know. I'd love to take a trip down there. Done. I've been <laughs> wanting to go to Australia for since forever. Yeah. My only issue with going down there is if you go to Australia, you got to do New Zealand too. Since you're down there, you might as well do them both. So you got to take a lot of time off. And you know how I love to fly. It's not that bad. And we're, we'll have to stay down there long enough, though, for you to acclimate because there's no way I could go to Australia and not look up my taekwondo brothers and sisters. They always come up here, so we'd have to have a little taekwondo time, vacation time. So we'll be down there long enough for you to be okay. It won't be that close to flying. All right. Well, we are coming into a brand new year. We have a lot of goals that we have set up for the podcast. Uh, We want to get some more people listening. Obviously, that's the number one thing. You can help us with that by sharing the show, spreading it around on your different social media. If you like it, share it. We'd love to have you do that. Also, uh, tell people about the fan page and definitely invite people and yourself to come over to the Spooktacular Crew group page on Facebook. That way we can start sharing some more things with each other. We do have an event coming up here in January in the city of Mount Dora, which just got done with a lot of refurbishment of their sidewalks. And it's just, it's a really neat little downtown area if you've never been there. So we'll plan something. Maybe we'll get up there a little bit early depending on, I'm sure we're going to do it on a Saturday. And I know a lot of people work on Saturday, so we'll have to see. But maybe we can go up there and kind of look around some of the antique shops and that kind of thing and then uh, join up the ghost tour after that. And well, then being me, we would, could maybe fit in a meal because I know Mount Dora has excellent restaurants. Yes, it does. And they're right down there. So on either side of the ghost tour, depending on upon time and stuff. Right. And we'll we'll get that event set up and let you know more about it. I'm having a feeling it's going to be maybe like the third week in January or towards the end, just to kind of give us a break from the holidays and get us back in the swing of things. Yeah. So when we do get that event loaded, if, if people could let me know kind of their schedule, like if they would be able to join for a dinner, if they'd rather go to dessert after, just so as I'm planning the event, I want to do, do our, our meetup before or after to the, to the gist of the majority so that we can get as many people doing that part of it as well. So if you are in the Central Florida area or will be in the Central Florida area in January, we'd love to have you join us for that. Well, we'll probably wish this to you on the uh, next podcast, but if you don't listen to that one, we want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas. Absolutely. And And we definitely are in Hanukkah right now. So happy Hanukkah to those of you that celebrate that. Like our our nieces and nephews in Chicago. So I know that they're starting to open... Only our nieces and nephews get Melissa Fent horns for Hanukkah. <laughs> you gotta love it. Hey, 
<laughs> I I love our creepy nieces and nephews. I know you do. And I think quite a few of our nep- nieces and nephews are creepsters. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be so glad to hear that. <laughs> no, I mean, in a good way, creepy's not bad. Yeah. You call you call little Leighton Mr. Creepy, and he takes that as a huge compliment. He gets a big smile. That is true. We want to thank you all for joining us for this little trip Dananda, and we shall see you on the next episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. This has been Diane and Denise. Y'all take care now. Bye bye. Be sociable. Drop the chain rattling, neck biting, and shape shifting, and join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump. Like the page and follow.